0: Hello and welcome to the Not A Victim podcast. Not A Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Michelle Howington. All right, so just tell me a little bit about your background and your upbringing and all that stuff.
1: Okay, well, I had a pretty normal childhood. Um, You know, both parents in the home, they were very overly protective, I guess you would say, because... You know, Mom didn't want like if we had company over or we couldn't go anywhere, everybody had to come to our house um hmm. you know, just a normal childhood nothing nothing out of the ordinary. Both parents were together um stayed that way until after I graduated high school so uh, when I graduated high school and went to college on a uh softball scholarship and um was there a little less than a year, and I got pregnant with my first child. So mm. I had to drop out of out of college, of course, because I was there on a scholarship, and um, you can't play ball when you're pregnant. So I had to drop out and come home. And when I came home, I came home to a separated um, family. My mom had left my dad, mm. and... Um, she was actually living, she had moved out, moved in with someone else and, you know, my dad was heartbroken. So I was kind of there trying to, you know, mend, mend pieces, you know, that my dad was a alcoholic, but I never knew him as an alcoholic because he'd been sober for 25 years. Hmm. So, um, as soon as he started having kids, he got sober and he stayed that way. So I never knew that side of him, Um, but I heard stories, so, um, but yeah, pretty normal childhood, nothing nothing out of the ordinary, just overly protective parents, just, you know, Mm. don't go anywhere, don't do this, don't do that, you can't, I wasn't allowed to wear makeup as, you know, a teenager, like, Mm. I wasn't, just stuff like that, so it's overly protective, so when I went to college, of course, I'm out of the home, I'm staying in a dorm, you know, just spread my wings to fly type thing, and I spread my wings the wrong way, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, so that was, you know, I'm in the middle of an older brother and a younger brother, so I'm a middle child, and, you know, but my older brother joined the Navy right out of high school, and my younger brother went to college right out of high school, so all the kids kind of left the house at the same time, and I think my mom had a hard time dealing with that um, it just it didn't she she didn't have anybody there to baby or to pamper or to to shield anymore because we were all out on our own and she kind of went through a little nervous breakdown type thing and just left my dad and so in college that was my first experience with drugs which is not nothing that I'm proud of but mm you know, my first experience, and um, I have four kids, and after my first, they're all four years apart, so after my first son was born, um, I kind of dabbled a little bit in drugs again. I was raised in church, and I was always a believer. I just, you know how you tend to just kind of Go your own way and do your own thing, but whenever you come back, you know God's always there waiting on you. He He never left you. You walked away from Him. He He never left you. So, I went through my first marriage with four kids. So I had. They were all four years apart. Um, my first. My my oldest son is 23 now. Fixing to be 23. I have twins now that are that are 19 and graduating high school tomorrow, mm-hmm. and. My daughter will be fifteen in September, so yeah I thank God for my first marriage for for my children um but it was not a very good marriage at all um we both used drugs we both used methamphetamines mm. and I had to quit each time that I got pregnant but always went back to it after after I had had the child of course but Um, when I was 28, my daughter was born and she was born with, and that's my, my baby girl. She was born with a, a cleft lip and a cleft palate. And my husband at the time thought that it was my fault because I had, you know, done drugs when, in the first part of my pregnancy, which I didn't know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So he, um, He blames all of that on me, which we had tests done, and it it was 99.9% hereditary. So, you know, that kind of eased me a little bit, but at the same time, my ex-husband was adopted, so he has no idea about his birth mom or his birth dad, so he was adopted. So anyway, so at 28, I entered a rehab because I had lost custody of all of my kids because of drugs. Um, they had went into defects custody, my daughter was eight months old, so I entered a rehab for 18 months, stayed there the whole 18 months, got my kids out of rehab, got them home, and then as soon as I got them home and everything was done with, with the case plan and stuff with defects, um, my husband at the time was like, I, you know, I don't love you, I want a divorce, so as soon as I got them home, he wanted a divorce, so we got a divorce and he got the kids because I didn't have anywhere to go, so he had all four of the kids at the time, which August the 26th of this year, I will have six years clean. Hmm. And as of right now, I have one of my my kids living with me, so I've came a long way in six years. I've been married to my current husband for nine years, and me and my current husband actually went through the drugs together and actually came out both clean and are still together. But mm. what I thought, you know, the reason of my fourth, my first divorce was because, you know, I hid stuff from him and he divorced me because I lied to him about doing drugs. So I thought with my current husband, it would be different if I just didn't hide anything and we, you know, I just told him the truth about everything and we would be okay. And... We tried that for about two years, and a lot of stuff happened, you know, that that shouldn't have. And when you're dealing with drugs, you just don't have any morals. You don't have any self-esteem. You don't have anything stopping you from doing whatever you're doing. And, you know, we have both went down that road, and I just thought it would be different if I didn't hide anything from him. And it was way different, so... I decided after after spending a little bit of time in jail because I had, during the time I was doing drugs, um, my parents were huge enablers and they would come and get me out every time I went to jail and the last time I went to jail, which was August the 26th, 2012, my dad who my mom passed away at 54, so she's been gone for nine years, and my dad did not come and get me this time. Hmm. He let me stay in jail until my court date, and that was that was my turning point. So I mean, you always hear about jailhouse religion and how you find God when you're in jail, and It's just because you're in jail and you don't have anything else to do, but that's so not true. Like, it's not true. Mm -hmm. They give you a Bible when you go to jail. They give you a Bible, and that was all I had. And you don't realize how much you need God until He's all that you have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I felt like my family had turned their back on me and didn't care about me and didn't love me when, in all reality, it was they were doing what they needed to do for me. And I spent 30 days in jail. And when I got out, I was clean. My husband was clean. He had got out some couple of weeks after me. And, you know, we were both like, okay, if you're done with the drugs, then we can be together. If you're not done with the drugs, then we can't be together. And so we both... Happily married still after nine years, after going through the drugs, we're still happily together, happily married. And I owe it all to that 30 days I spent in jail.
0: So you were talking about a minute ago about stigma of coming to God in jail and just the way that that's seen. And right. so there there are two things going on there. there some people um, obviously equate it to saying like, Oh, so you did a horrible thing, and now you're saying that you have uh, some kind of religion or whatever. And because of that, you want all of us to just forget the horrible thing that you did. The picture that you painted is more that it is genuine, and the reason that maybe it happened in jail is that uh, desperation brings a level of honesty that most people avoid. Most people just do whatever they can to not face uh, certain big questions. And so they live all of life avoiding those questions. From what I've seen, people that are post-addiction are a lot more healthy than normal people, than quote, quote, normal people. Normal people just avoid everything. A lot of people that are married never say the things that bother them about the other person. They never work on those things. Those things never get better. You're supposed to just be quiet over and over again and then die. And so, um, you know, there's a level of... Uh, isolation and pain that brings out a level of honesty that good times just can't produce. And um, in that regard, a lot of people do find true transformation in jail because it is a place of signifying—you know—that you know, are at the bottom. Um, right. There is really nothing below that. You know, I am being right. held in a in a cage to protect society from me. That might right. uh, that might indicate that things aren't going great. And right. uh, in a way that. Um, drugs uh are just one of a thousand things that keep people from um addressing any really big topics. And to that uh subject, um I want to ask you what do you think the drugs were helping you um escape from? I mean obviously there's an element of, you know, this is really fun, so let's do it just because it's fun. But right. then a lot of times um it is uh it is a means to escaping some kind of uh reality
1: well it ended up being an escape from reality but to start with my justification for it was i have four kids it gives me energy to keep up with a household and four kids so the justification was okay i can do laundry i can take care of you know my oldest son was 8, my twins were 4 and my daughter was born, so they were all 4 years apart. So my justification was I can do laundry, I can cook supper, I can have them bathed, bathed, in the bed, ready to go to school the next day the ones that were in school and that was my justification. It gave me the energy to do that. But in all reality I wasn't I wasn't doing what I needed to do for my children, you know, like I was neglecting them. Um just just go play. Just leave me alone. Just let me do what I gotta do. Just let me get these dishes washed. Just let me get these laundry done. Just right. just go away. Just put you know, I was just pushing my children away. And, you know, I look back on it now and it it breaks my heart because I, you know, I see things that I have done to them that I remember that I've done to them that, you know, I talked to them about now and they were like, Well, Mom, I don't remember that. And I'm like, thank goodness you don't remember that because I do, you know. But um, it was just, I guess it was just the, the getting out of my head. Just, you know, my husband worked. I was home all day. I was taking care of a household and four kids.
0: Right. And, and he... especially when you're young, uh, especially the world kind of says that uh, having a kid's or that having kids is, is, you know, a waste of your youth or whatever. You should be out just sleeping with everyone. Right, right, <laughs> and, uh, right. Which, uh, that's we a uh, weird irony. At,
1: yeah, I had my first son at 18, but I turned 19 a month later. Right. So,
0: you Not, know, I had my first right. child,
1: you know, fairly young, so... Yeah, and obviously um, that
0: isn't necessarily ideal, but on the other hand, um, the life of a child... Um, has a lot can bring a lot more meaning than just uh than just partying or or whatever you know like exactly um so
1: you know I look back on what I drug him through the first four years of his life before I actually had my twins you know it was go here go here go here I'm always in the car always go 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 and you know then when I had my twins of course he was he was he was four when I had them so he was a I put a lot on him as far as growing up really fast and helping me take care of these kids, you know, because um, he was the older brother, you know, so he had to help mom with the kids. Yeah. And what it,
0: effect do you think your parents splitting up had on you? Obviously, you weren't a little kid, so it wasn't like that. Right. But I think and, of um, how much, or I was listening to someone the other day, and they were talking about a lot of people that operate on impulse don't really, um, they don't really see long term safety in their own life, and that you know when your parents split up or something like foundational like that breaks apart, it sort of breaks up what you thought couldn't be broken. And
1: exactly, um, and I think that had a huge impact on on me, and you know on my, my my siblings as well because we were all grown and out of the house when it happened, so. Um, it's kind of like, we felt like my mom had been just sitting and waiting on go, you Mm. know, been waiting on us to get out of the house because, you know, she, like I said, if there was, we were, it was a normal childhood. If there was struggles in the home, we didn't know it, you know, they, they maintained and, Mm. We always felt comfortable and safe and protected. And But as soon as we were all gone out of the home and went our separate ways, then, you know, that's when my mom left my dad too. So.
0: And then there's, and like, I've... a weird thought, like, you know, how long has she been thinking about this?
1: Exactly. Yes. So it's like she's been planning this for a while. She had to be. You just don't do stuff. They were married for 26, 27 years. Mm. You just don't do – you know – even being married to my husband now for nine years, you know, divorce doesn't even cross my mind. You know, we got something yeah. to work out. Let's work it out. You know, let's let's work it out. But right. obviously, she she hadn't been happy, and the grounds for divorce when she divorced him was because he was an alcoholic, some 25, 30 years prior, and they granted her the divorce on those grounds.
0: Huh.
1: So she was holding resentment from. Prior to us being born, and just held on to okay, we have a family, we got to get these kids grown and took care of, and you know then then whatever, whatever. But that was her grounds for divorce was him being an
0: alcoholic. But he had been sober for like I
1: said, 25 plus years. Um, so
0: what was his like view of that of them splitting up?
1: He, my dad went in just like this downward spiral. He, he couldn't maintain, he had to take a leave of absence from work, he just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact, because she didn't just leave, she left and moved in with somebody else, so, oh, man. Um, you know, he couldn't wrap his mind around that, and he couldn't, he couldn't deal with the fact that he had been sober, and he had quit drinking, and he was a deacon at the church that we went to, like, we were raised in church, and he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that, you know, she that she had left him anyway, and, you know, but after some years, you know, he did eventually remarry, and um, so did she, and, you know, but sadly, today, they're they're both gone, um, she passed away nine years ago, and my dad passed away three years ago, so, mm. um, and I don't know if that had a lot to do, you know, my dad got to see me clean up, and be good, and and walk right, and and serve the Lord, and and be happy, and my dad read, read his Bible every night, and so when I would come and, you know, try to talk Bible talk with him, he was right there on it, and he was, my dad got to see that. My dad got to see that part of me. My mom did not, so I have to live with that, too, you know, so what is your you know, relationship
0: I'm, with your with your kids like now? I know you said one of them lives uh, with you.
1: Yeah, so my, one of my twins has moved in with me. Um, I never really lost contact with my with my kids. I just I didn't while I was in my addiction. I just didn't I guess have time, you know. But um, my relationship with my children now is is amazing. Um, my oldest son is 23, and I have. Three grandkids by him, Mm -hmm. and they're wonderful grandkids. You can baby them and pamper them and fill them up with candy and send them home. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. my twins are 19, and one of them is living with me. My daughter is coming. You know, I talked, I just got off of uh, FaceTime with her right before you called, Mm -hmm. and she, you know, she's coming to spend the summer with us. Um, It's just the older they get, the more I guess they understand. And my daughter really don't remember that much about being in foster care and and all that situation because she was so young but mm. you know the, the older kids do but they also understand now that you know look how far mom's came and yeah. look because as soon as I got clean I started I started working this job and I have done nothing but go up from there right. and
0: I think that's cool too because uh, a lot of people Um, think that if, you know, if they miss the, their kids, you know, childhood years, that it's kind of over. And to some extent, obviously, you you can't rewind that. And there's, there's no two ways about that. But it is, it is cool that, um, that as they've become adults, that things are, are still able to be mended with them.
1: Exactly. And there, you know, I've had, I've I've actually set them all down at different occasions. And, you know, and talk to them about stuff that <clears throat> weighs heavy, heavy, heavy on my heart that yeah, that i that I think about daily or I go to bed thinking about it at night, you know, and I've actually talked to them about it, and you know, there's been several times that they like mom, we don't even remember, we don't remember that like I'm mm. like, thank goodness you don't, but um you know there was there was horrible times when I was just trying to just push them away, and they just wanted some attention, they just wanted me. And I would just, you know, go, go, get away, get away, get away. Let me do what I'm doing. And really what I was doing really didn't matter. You know, I should have been spending that time with them. And um, I regret that. But at the same time, I can't, like you said, I can't go back and change it. And I can't go back and take anything back. But, you know, my relationship with them now is, you know, my daughter calls me. She had a eighth grade little graduation ceremony thing the other night she was like mom i need clothes help so Mm -hmm. i go pick her up and take her shopping for clothes you know and she gets what she wants and she's happy and she gets to graduate from her (laughs) little eighth grade class and wear what she wants to wear and you know she's happy so you know we have that kind of relationship now it's like mom help i need you and Mm -hmm. and i i go i go save the day so (laughs)
0: um (laughs) yeah that's great um so i'm gonna ask this question again just because we'll get to that in a second yeah, okay. so just a little more specific thing. Have you ever had a season that you thought you would never come out of? And the reason I'm asking this again is because the idea is if someone's hearing this and they are in those shoes, they're in the shoes where they right now don't think that they'll come out of whatever they're in at the moment. Um, yeah, I just feel like you didn't really answer that question.
1: Okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm so not I'm, letting it go. I'm sorry. That's fine. Um. <laughs> So the season that I felt like I wouldn't come out of was absolutely, you know, getting up or every day thinking that I had to use just to get through the day Mm -hmm. and, you know, then you you do that and you got to do a little more just to get through the next part of the day or whatever and Mm -hmm. you get in this trap of this endless circle of, you know, what I've got to do to get high, what I've got to do to get through this day and, the, that season you will have,
0: last. Right. Did, while that was happening, do you think you had, you know, at certain moments you would have guilt that you were in the cycle and then that would, you know, sort of encourage it? You know what I mean? Where, like, did you have moments where you felt guilty that you were doing the drugs and that you were maybe uh, not being... I did,
1: because I would call my children and say, you know, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And... Four days later, I still hadn't got there, hmm. you know. So, yes, and you get caught up in that, and you get caught up in the making excuses, and you get caught up in the, you know, I'll be there, or just I'm on my way. I'm on my way was my biggest, I'm on my way, and then I would never make it because you got you got all this other stuff to do. But you that season will last, and you will continue in that season until – until you're ready to be done with that. Until you're tired of making excuses. Until you're tired of seeing disappointment on your family's faces or your kids' faces. Like you know, a mom didn't show up again, or mom said she was coming, and I, you know, they sat out on the porch and waited on me to get there, and I never showed up. You know, so when you do finally see them, they're just looking at you like, okay, you know, what's going on? What's really going on? And
0: and obviously, you know, guilt feeds any negative vice.
1: Right, so then you're feeling guilty, and then you didn't go, so why not do some more drugs, you know, just to to cover that up, and it just, it's an endless circle, it is, and until
0: my honest
1: to God bottom was going to jail, and my dad, my dad refusing to get me out, because my dad was my, my enabler, he was the one that didn't matter what happened, I was his only daughter, he would come and do whatever, you know, and When he refused to come and get me, he was like, I love you, gal, but I'm going to let you. I'll see when you go to court. You know, I was like, ah. And when I sat in jail, you know, 30 days in jail is like a year in jail when you're sitting in jail. Mm. And it gave me plenty of time to think about me. So, you know, the season is going to last as long as you allow it to last. Mm. And, you know, when you get tired of seeing disappointment or when you get tired of feeling that guilt or when you get tired of, um making excuses you know then then you will
0: yeah i was gonna say like do you think uh were there things (laughs) that you were blaming on other people that sort of facilitated it or yeah that i blamed on other people i'm saying until that point do you think you were blaming aspects of your life on other people and that's
1: exactly i blamed everything on the fact that me and Mike's husband divorced. I blamed it on the fact that my parents separated. I blamed it on um, just whatever I could blame it on. You know, my parents separated at a young age. Then I got pregnant with my, my first son, and I all intentions on going back to school and never did. And life just didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. But hmm. um, I blamed everybody. In my circle, I blamed my ex husband. I blamed my husband now. I blamed my parents. I blamed everybody. Everybody I blamed for where I was in my life until I actually had to sit, time to sit and think, this is all your fault. You made all these choices, you made all this happen for you. So um, I I did. I blamed. And then I blamed God, even usually. Why would you let this happen? Why would you take my kids away from me? Well, I wasn't taking care of my kids. You know, like they were better off where they were at the time, and um, yeah, I had a lot of, of blame, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, um, a lot of a lot of that built up. And
0: I see, you, I see that in people all the time, where life so didn't go the way they thought it was going to go, that they just say like <laughs> internally, they just say like, screw it, like let's just. Right. Let's take whatever feels good right now. Let's just do it because right. this is already not the picture I had in my head. Right. And uh, I
1: never thought I never thought at you know thirty years old or thirty five years old that I wouldn't have my kids. I never hmm. thought that you know my ex husband would keep them from me, which he had every right to keep them from me. You know, I never thought that I would be divorced. Like divorcing was never an issue once you get married. That's it. You work through everything, you know. Mm-hmm. I never thought any. I never thought I would be where I am, but thank goodness I am where I am today. Because I everything I've gone through, thus far, has made me the person that I am, and mm. I, I'm i I'm grateful and thankful for all that. And I thank God every day when I wake up. Thank you for where I'm at. Do you ever? Do you
0: hmm. ever know? uh Sorry, I'm going to okay. restart this phrase. <laughs> This is why I edit the podcast. That's um do you do you have anyone in your life that you see their life and you think, Oh well they must have hit bottom by now but they internally they don't they haven't yet. They still haven't hit bottom yet. And so yes. they don't have any desire for anything different or anything better and Yeah, uh, besides
1: my my older my older brother who actually um judged me for what I was going through at the time. He's struggling with his own addiction with prescription medication because he had a a really bad car wreck and mm. he he is struggling with his own and he's cut himself off from the whole family and I try to reach out to him all the time and i I can't get I can't get through to him um but I also can't put myself back in that situation to where. I can't help him unless he wants to help himself. So I can't go say, come on, let me save you, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but he was so quick when I was in my addiction to judge me. And it's like, how can you let anything have this much control over your life? And then I see him going through the same thing. Mm. And I, there's nothing I can do. There's, you know, I try to reach out to him. I try to call him, go by his house. You know, he just, he's, he, I just, I can't, I can't. So mm. it hurts me. It hurts me really bad because I know what he's going through. But at the same time I also know that I can't hmm. stop him. Yeah. He's I can't stop him. That's such so, a common yeah.
0: thing too where someone has a, a really bad, legitimate um injury of some kind. Right. And then you know, And an he actually was
1: driving a an eighteen wheeler and had a wreck. And he was hurt really, really bad and was on pain medication for a couple of years. And it just escalated from there. Now he's mm-hmm buying him off the street. So it's mm. you know, and and he has just cut himself off from the whole family. He won't come to family functions. He won't call anybody. He won't text anybody. He just he's he's right in the middle of it. And eventually he's gonna have to hit bottom too and I just hope it's not too late because I know with prescription medication it's just it's it's easy to overdo it, you know, mm. and I just mm. I pray for him. I pray for him every day. So
0: wow what are um what are some small things like daily things that are different about your life post uh addiction
1: well i get up now and i feel i feel a hundred times better than i did um i actually had i get up at the same time i have a job to go to um
0: so you have accountability maybe in a way you didn't i do
1: i do and i, I do go to church on sundays and i I try to hit my reunion groups on Tuesday nights. Sometimes I don't get those because of work, but, you know, I do have accountability. Um, And same with the the phone thing, you know. There's nothing on the phone that I need to talk about, you know, really late. Um, But I I use my phone a lot for work, so as long as it's between the hours of 8 and 5, we're good. Um, Right. And I don't – I absolutely do not – right now what I do – is I go to the gym every night at a certain time, so I go to the gym at like nine o'clock at night,
2: hmm.
1: and that's my hour my nine to ten that's my hour to myself at the gym and um hmm. get up every morning with a cup of coffee and my Bible, and I spend about an hour before I ever even leave my house
0: I think the um the the fact that you quit smoking and lost all that weight and all that like that stuff says a lot too because. Um again, people that are really hurting are typically very cynical and are very um slow to believe anything good, um, which is usually a reflex of having been hurt multiple times exactly. you know, right. when you do really open up and then someone really uh stomps on you a couple times right. um you go, well, I ain't doing that again. Right, and right. Uh, I learned and,
1: my lesson. Yeah. yeah, and then sometimes <laughs> a
0: genuinely good thing will try to make its way into your mind, and you'll just go, "Nope, been there." And so, um, you know, things like losing that weight and and uh, smoking and all these like really healthy things, um, it's really hard to take away how difficult those things are, and and to discredit them uh, in the mind of someone who is uh, who is really negative. And uh, again, people that are negative tend to think that um maybe you know positivity or something is is just like another vice it's another like scapegoat to to feel good or whatever um and uh and there's no like action behind it and uh not that that's the reason you're doing those things you're doing those things because you want to be a a really really healthy human being and uh well I got really
1: scared um I started having like Heart palpitations, like my heart was beating really funny, and I mean, I weighed 270. I was pushing 300 pounds, and I got really scared. And I was actually talking to somebody, and they that that had panic attacks or anxiety attacks or whatever, and that they, they were explaining to me that that's might probably might be what it was. And mm. I decided at that point, you know, okay, there's no, there's nothing. There's, I'm I'm fine, I'm fine, I just need to focus on me, and I need to, mm. I do, I'm pushing 300 pounds, I need to lose some weight, you know, so I just wanted to be healthy, I just wanted to be a better person, I wanted to have that as part of my testimony, because, you know, I quit smoking, um, lost 100 pounds, I just wanted to be part of my testimony that, you know, God can change you, and God can make you who, you know, he wants you to be so that you can have a testimony so that right. you can be an inspiration
0: to other people. and so. those those things are again, they're indicative of a principle of putting um, comfort aside and going, you know what is the what is the best version of me um, right. even if there's a lot of um, inconvenience in the in the meantime. And, uh,
1: and uncomfortable yes yeah. you have to come out of your comfort zone yes you do <laughs>
0: and obviously like you know uh addiction and all that stuff it, it's all impulse led it's all this is what i feel right now so let's do this right. right now right and then uh and then later when everything doesn't feel great anymore then uh then you know we'll worry about it then right and uh yeah so i think that's really big i also think it's really um rare to find people that encourage like hey max out your personal um the potential of of what is within you that you know it's really easy to to to, uh to just tell people well you know just however you are don't worry about it just um you know god loves you however you are and all that and 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 that's a weird dichotomy because he does like nothing you do Um, one way or the other has anything to do with God's affection. Those are completely separate things. But um, it's a lot easier to say, like, um, you know, people should just accept you however you are. That's a lot easier to say because everyone loves hearing it than to say, why not be a really sharp version of you? Um, Or why not at least go in that direction? Um, You know, I feel like in some ways um, it's harder to live unhealthy than to get healthy um you know like even something like weight or whatever obviously that's an extremely sensitive topic and again our our culture is very moral relativist so we're all like so culture pushes like fat acceptance or whatever right and uh and i'm just going look no uh what they're saying is the heart of like the fat acceptance movement is you know if you're not um you know, uh, Angelina Jolie or whatever, you're still worth something. And that is a, that is a, a worthwhile sentiment. Um, but again, it comes from a worldview where, um, people don't believe in God. So they have to just kind of convince themselves that their life means something. But I have kind of this, uh, the opposite view. And that is, um, you know, do everything you can within your power to, to really uh, be the sharpest version of you and then never worry about it again. You know, um, the, uh, right. yeah, the you really you don't have to be whoever that, whoever that like model person is. That's not the point. The point is be a really great version of you because it's the most confident, nicest, like you know, um, just most attractive version of you. Exactly. And, uh, and, I've uh, yeah, I've I've always you thought, know it all started ahead,
1: with, yeah. with with and I keep going back to this this walk to Emmaus because that's when it all started because like it just gave me more confidence in myself and more of a Mm. feeling of being loved
2: Mm.
1: without having to feel the love even from my husband, like just a love that I had never felt before. So it Mm. gave me more confidence in myself and it made me want to to be that better person, to be able to get up in front of people Mm. and and talk and not feel like, okay, I'm just this 300-pound person Mm. and, you know, I, you know, it just gave me more confidence in myself, and it just it just transformed me. Like you know, every every mile I walk on that treadmill, you know, I'm I'm listening to you know Mercy Me or um, Crowder, or I'm listening to you know the music, and it's like I'm just the the song flawless. Like that's my song because you know I put that in my head because. You know, I feel like God has done this for me, so I can help other people, you know, and help. You know, you have all this confidence now, so how did you do it? Okay, come on, you know, come sit with me for a minute, and I will talk to you.
0: I, you know, I will share this with you. So, Hey, guys, just wanted to jump in here for a second. Um, this next part is me and her um, reiterating a story that she had told earlier. We wanted to go into a little bit more detail about what actually happened. Um, but it is gonna seem a little jarring, so I just wanted to give you a heads up
1: with my husband now you know he he was also an addict prior like we were both clean at the time, but when we got together, it was like okay, if I don't hide this from him, then then I won't be lying to him about anything and it'll be okay we'll be able to work you know we'll be able to do this together and it'll be okay like it was mm. just a justification of you know you he hadn't used in a while, and I hadn't used in a while. But for some reason, it came up that we were gonna we were gonna use, and it was like we just won't hide it from each other. We'll be okay, mm-hmm. and um, that worked for a little while, um, for a very little while. And then I guess the, just the addiction took over, and there was nights that he wouldn't come home at all. There was nights that you know he was out doing. His thing to to get his high, and um, I was still trying to work and maintain a job, which didn't last very long when you're when you're doing drugs. But mm. um, he he actually um, cheated on me, and I found out about it. So,
2: mm.
1: and this was all drug related. So he actually cheated on me, and um wanted a, you know, I was, we were both wanting a divorce, and when I finally agreed to sign the divorce papers, that that wasn't what he wanted, he was like, no wait a minute, hold on, you know, he had been on me about a divorce, about a divorce, about a divorce, and I said, I don't want a divorce, we're going to work through this, and when I finally said, okay, bring me the papers, I'll sign them, he didn't want it, he was like, no wait, that's not what I wanted, I didn't want you to agree, so... Um, there was a period of about four months that, after we were in the middle, right in the slap middle of our addiction, that um, he wasn't even at home, and mm. he was he was just out doing whatever. Um, ended up in jail a few times, and in, it just ended up in a whole cheating relationship with mm. with my sister-in-law so um it's just bad situation but he you know he like I said he's my best friend and yeah so how was
0: the um you know how did you put things back together with him after after that it was very
1: very hard to put things back together and it took a long long time um I, I loved him with my whole heart with you know I loved him so much and and I knew from before the drugs that he loved me. I knew what we had before the drugs, so it was hard for me to let go of the relationship we had prior to the drugs. So it was hard for me to let go of that because I knew what we had, hmm. and um, even though he had he had hurt me, you know, really, really bad, and a betrayal that I never thought. I would feel, you know, the first divorce was a betrayal, but this this kind of just, you know, how many knives can I have in my back? But it was very hard. It took a long, long time of him doing the right thing, of him, mm. you know, making that next right choice and of him putting forth 200% effort every day to prove to me that he loved me and that, you know, he was sorry and that we were going to work through this, and it took a long time. And Mm. even still to this day, it's been six years, and we don't talk about it. It's just something that we had to, Mm. we talked about, and, you know, he never could give me a reason why because the only reason why that I could get was the drugs. Mm. But we talked about it, but it's just not something we bring up and talk about anymore you know it's it's one of those things you just kind of push back and you're like okay this happened there's no good logical reason other than the drugs you know well and and that and that
0: that, yeah and that it's just fun or whatever there probably isn't a lot of thought going into it really exactly um yeah so do you think not talking about it now is like avoiding it or do you think it's that he's been consistent consistent enough for long enough That uh, you know that it's just not the concern that it once was.
1: It's just not worth bringing back up and fighting about. So he has been very consistent. He has been very two hundred percent effort for the past six years. That he has earned that. Mm. You know he's he's earned he's earned that trust back. Well, there was Mm. no trust at all. He has earned that back because he has been consistent. He has you know proven a lot to me over the past six years mm-hmm. and
0: um and there's no there's no like shortcut to that <laughs> no mm-hmm. no
1: not at all and like I said the only thing that the only thing we have to blame it on and the only the only reason he can give me is the drugs and I have to accept that because we were both doing drugs at the time and I have to accept that he was not in, he wasn't thinking, that he, Mm. you know, it makes you not care. Like, it puts you in a, no morals, no, no, you just don't care about anything, Mm. and it puts you there, and you just do whatever, Mm. whatever is going on at the minute, that's what you do, and, you know, I have to accept that, and I do. And like I said, had it been on-again, off-again you know, he's doing this, he's doing that, Um, it'll be different, but he has worked really hard, and he's, he's proven himself to me, and, you know, we're still married, he's my best friend, like, like now, I mean, his nickname for me is gorgeous, and my nickname for him is sexy, so, you know, we just kind of like, hey, gorgeous, hey, sexy, it's just, you know, we have that relationship. We talk about every single thing under the moon. Yeah. You know, we talk about everything. We don't hide anything from each other, nothing. I don't yeah. care if he got a phone call from... Right. You know, his ex-wife's mama or whoever. I don't care. Mm. Whatever it is, as soon as it happens, we talk about it. Mm. You know, so he don't hide anything from me. And mm. um, I have gave him, you know, I have gave him that trust back. And so... Really, you don't see couples that go through addiction and go through stuff like that and still nine years later be married. But mm. honestly, what I held on to was the relationship we had prior to the drugs. Mm. And then I knew what we had, and I knew it was great. And then mm. then the drugs came into play, and we thought that as long as we didn't hide it from each other, we was honest with each other, hey, you, this is what we're doing, or hey, here's some of this, let's do it as long as we were honest that, that we could we could do it and maintain mm. and the truth of the matter is that you can't maintain, you don't maintain you might think you maintain but you don't and it just takes control and mm. you know, you end up doing crazy stupid things and
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's huge um, yeah. thank you so much, yeah, so yeah, great I think you? that's it <laughs> thank you for giving me so much of your time no, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome.